New subscribers. Welcome. Thank you and Appreciate welcome. You. All right. And we apologize in advance for disappointing you. <laughs> All right. So uh, this Average Intelligence podcast for anyone who is new here. And can't uh, read. We just talk about stuff we're not really qualified to talk about. Exactly. And yet, I'm not going to say we're always right. No. But it's surprised us. Yes. And you know what else surprises me, Jake? What else surprises you, Eric? Fresh baked goods. Are the <laughs> Fresh baked goods straight from the chief baker from the Titanic. And I'm telling you, these things are so good. Their slogan, you bring the flour, we've got the water. <laughs> Back to you, Jake. <laughs> That's a little bit more than a pinch of salt, though. But <laughs> I hope that makes a good short. <laughs> Chief Baker, I was. You said that. I'm like, where's he going with this? I've learned a lot. I thought you were gonna be like, unlike the Titanic, this dough rises. In these uh, these cupcakes, my wife made with unsweetened applesauce, and they're delicious. I actually prefer unsweetened applesauce. I because here's don't the, know why I don't like applesauce anymore. I used to love it. Oh, dude, I love applesauce. But here's the funny thing: apples are naturally sweet. I've never understood why people feel the need to sweeten their applesauce because it's it's just crushed apples. Well, when they add the water and this and that to make it applesauce, it loses flavor. Not the kind I buy. I don't know. Uh, what, I, I don't know. Do brand. you buy the organic stuff? No. I don't know why it would matter. Well, no. There there is some organic produce where. I don't know what I, it's. It's probably not because it's organic. It's probably just where it's coming from, okay. smaller farm. But um, I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, I used to always exclusively buy like organic <clears throat> berries because they they actually tasted better. I'm not a fan of berries. I I like them in a smoothie. You don't like blackberries? <sighs> the I like strawberries. That's okay. Oh, organic strawberries are way better. Mm-hmm. It depends on where you buy them from, though. I shouldn't say organic is better. But All anyway, speaking of organic, it, it's not organic. It is vegan, apparently, though. Ooh. This podcast is brought to you by Stevie Wicks Cool Beans Candle Company. Fellas out there, I've got the perfect Valentine's Day plan for you. And it ties into this podcast. So this weekend... The special 25th anniversary edition of Titanic is being put back in theaters for a limited time. Just in time for Valentine's Day weekend. So, what you do, you go to AMC, join AMC A-List, get your tickets for Titanic. You don't pay any extra for special screenings, including 3D, which, by the way, Jimmy Cam, that's James Cameron. What is up with this, like, only releasing your films in 3D? 3D? I bought my ticket to Avatar 2 in Dolby, and I didn't see that all of the Dolby showings were only in 3D. Oh. I hate 3D. Yeah. I actually got to stand there like a dork and be like, oh, well, then I want my refund. And they, they, like, they couldn't process why. They were like, here's your glasses. And I go, oh, it's in 3D? They're like, all of our Dolby showings are in 3D. And I'm like, no, all of your Dolby showings for this movie are in 3D. I've been in your Dolby showings. Yeah, but I it sounds so much better. 
Yeah, but I digress. So, anyway, all of the Titanic re-releases are in 3D. I was going to go see it this weekend. Not now. So I just watched it at home. But get your tickets. I apologize. It's not my fault. I would have released it. 3D is fine for those who want it. I hate it. But anyway, get your tickets, your glasses, and then go to StevieWicks.com and get your girl or boy or gender non-conforming partner if you are into that kind of thing and get them either one or several of the limited run Valentine's Day candles. Holy crap, that is strong. Scent of the month actually, love spell. Oh, that smells fantastic. This is actually modeled. This scent is mo- <clears throat> is basically it's a it's a rip off of a Victoria's Secret perfume. Dude, it's it's And I got I got to say if if a if a, a lady caller was wearing this scent, I would uh, probably not ask her to be my Valentine, but I think about it. <laughs> And then go see Titanic. Take her out to a nice dinner, you know, and have a happy Valentine's Day. And then get ready for St. Patrick's Day Oh, in yeah. honor of those that built the Titanic out of strong iron and will. Because as they say in the movie, no, she is built in Ireland. She's a British ship, but she was built in Ireland. I know I lapsed into Montgomery Scott there for a second. I'm sorry. But... <laughs> The St. Patrick's Day candles are coming, and I got to tell you, probably not next week, week after next, I will show you guys the prototype of the Irish whiskey candle. It's made from a new kind of wax. It's gel wax, so it's clear. It looks like a legit, like this thing is so cool. It looks like a legit glass of bourbon, or whiskey, not bourbon, sorry, because she also made uh, molds that look like ice cubes, and it actually looks like a glass of whiskey with on the rocks. Well, that's wild. It's, and it actually smells good, too. It smells very good. <clears throat> but more on Stevie Books later, even though I pretty much just gave you the plug, but I'm going to talk about them more. Actually, no, that'll just be the plug. Forget it. Now, what we're here to talk about. Titanic, the movie, but not how you think we are. Let's, if you're into Titanic, you already know all the history and like the, the, the trivia about the film and all that. That's not what we're here to talk about. I hadn't watched Titanic for a few years, and I noticed something very interesting. And I'm not really sure how to go into this, so I'll, I'll let you decide the options. One, I can just go all of my observations, because there's three categories. <clears throat> I came up with the theory, and I've pretty well, I, I've done this a few, I've watched it a few times since, and I think I'm right here. I think Titanic is simultaneously an allegory for the journey of maturity, in this case for, for a woman, it is also an unintentional <laughs> an unintentional affirmation of traditional gender roles, but not in such a strict and rigid way that is like, I would say, um, tyrannical, but it is, and it's unintentional because James Cameron, James Cameron has recently come out and said now we Masc- uh, uh, what did he say? Toxic, Mas- toxic masculinity. I think he just said testosterone. He said testosterone, testosterone is a bad thing, yeah. thus implying that masculinity is bad. Yet the entire movie is a showcase of awesome masculine traits. And also, I had a thought randomly because I remembered Rose's outfit the first time you see her, and I was like, I wonder if those colors mean something. So I watched it on Monday night. <clears throat> I was more correct than I thought I would be. The wardrobe in that movie, at least for the main characters, is extremely intentional if you take into consideration color meanings and color psychology. So, should I tackle it by theme or just go through the movie and tell you what's what? 
It might be easier to just go through the movie and tell you what's yeah, what. Yeah, that would make more sense. Okay, well, that's how I wrote so it. So then you got play-by-play in your brain. That plus, then, if, you, if you're a fan of the movie, you can fo- kind of follow along in your head. Or you can play this episode as a commentary. It won't be as long as the movie, though. You'll have to play it in very slow motion. <laughs> this, is, this is true. <laughs> Oh, no, no, just put the put the, put, put the movie on like double speed. That <laughs> one when the guy falls into the bed. I'm naked, Jack. Look at my movies. I love that. I wanted you to draw me like one of your French girls, wearing this, wearing only this. I love the internet. That is, that was so good. Look at my boobies, Jack. (laughs) Oh, that's what he says when, that's what (laughs) Rose Schwarzenegger says when he's on the couch. Look at my boobies, Jack. (laughs) The guy who makes those are one. They're, they're good. Okay. All right, let's do this. So, we will begin at essentially the start of the movie. I jump around a bit, but these are just observations, so... The first time we see Young Rose... Oh, no, I'm sorry. I did... Hang on. Yes, I'm sorry. I messed up a little bit here. So, when we first see Young Rose, she's wearing uh, purple and white. Now, purple... And these colors mean a myriad of different things, but if you pay attention to scene context... And these are actually... I've I've verified this with uh, basically an article on color psychology. So, I'm not making shit up. But what's very interesting is, I think this was done intentionally, but I've seen movies a lot of times where I'm like, oh, it's very interesting that they're wearing that color. I wonder if that was intentional, because it might be a one-off scene. But this, no, this movie was done intentional by the end of my long diatribe. I think you'll agree with me. So the first time we meet Rose, she's wearing purple and white. Now, in this case, purple, I believe, is representing, uh, purple, this is kind of all-encompassing, represents spirituality, mystery, Royalty, imagination, enlightenment, inspiration. It's uplifting and encouraging. It's also worth noting here. Wait, hang on. No, this is the first time we meet Rose. I'm sorry. Old woman Rose. <coughs> she is wearing purple, and purple means all those things. It's also worth noting their house is filled with a lot of Native American decor, which I think is a subtle nod that is plant it's a seed planted in the beginning of the movie where it's showing that she shunned her European aristocratic upbringing in lieu of the more free American spirit. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of Native American decor that if you're not looking for things like I was, you might miss, but it's pretty obvious. So Rose, at the beginning of the movie when she's an old woman, is with her granddaughter who takes care of her. She also has a small dog and a fish. She takes all of them with her on the boat with her too no but this is so there's a video on our channel where i start to go into this it's a very kind of like minimal and this is an expansion on that so one of the things i notice is again this movie is kind of a perfect representation of ideal gender roles so in this case this illustrates right out of the right out of the gate and very subtly that rose is feminine and caregiving. She's a caregiver because she has a granddaughter, so it's implied she has children, obviously. And then she's got small animals. And I think it's worth noting that she insists on taking the fishbowl with her on the boat. 
because she cannot be apart from what she's taking care of. Right. And this illustrates her... I, I said the... It's, at least in the context of this film, the two main sort of masculine and feminine imperatives, the feminine, the feminine imperative is preservation. That's preservation of life, preservation of purity, all of it. So she's preserving the life and taking care of the life of the dog, the fish, and then her granddaughter, who is an extension of her in this movie, and they, they're not subtle at all about that. That's why she had the door. She was preserving herself. And wearing a life preserver. <laughs> so anyway, it's worth noting on that. She's passed these values on to the next generation, though, in the form of her granddaughter taking care of her. And not begrudgingly. She's happy to do so. And they go out of their way to show this. Because the granddaughter is also seen taking care of the animals as well. In fact, the first time we see her, she's feeding the dog. Yes, I know, I may be reading too much into this, but honestly, for a movie this long and for it to be this consistent, I don't think I am. I'm kind of giving Titanic the Jordan Peterson treatment, because sometimes, like, I watched his dissection of Pinocchio, and I'm like, I don't know if there's that much thought put into it, but again, it's like, he's not wrong. It might be a bit of a stretch, but he's not wrong. Dude, Jordan Peterson said anime... What was it, Jordan Peterson? No, no, I'm sorry, it was Matt Walsh, never mind. Yeah, oh, I know what you're talking about, and yeah, Matt... Eh. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> so, so here was where I started. When Rose arrives on the ship, she's wearing... Rose arrives... On the first ship. I'm sorry. This is why I wrote this down. That's a tongue twister, though. When Rose arrives on the ship, still old woman Rose, okay. she's wearing green. Green can represent youth and fertility. Rose is old in this scene, but this is also when she sees the drawing of her younger self which leads us into the flashback where the bulk of the story takes place. Rose is symbolically traveling back to her youth before she even sees the picture with that wardrobe choice. I also want to just say again, these are all theories. Are we streaming? I find it odd that we don't have... Yeah, excellent connection. Live, right there. Oh, yeah, we are streaming. I see the... Uh... Um, we are streaming. I see the... Uh... See our view duration? Um, there are people popping in. Ah, gotcha. Just no kiss Except me. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> okay. Go natty. Now is the first time we actually see young Rose, which I go out of my way to write down so I don't get confused, and I failed miserably. <laughs> the first time we see young Rose, mm -hmm. she's wearing white and purple along with gloves. Gloves are actually an important wardrobe motif in this movie, and that comes into play a few times in the movie. And they go out of their way to show you when she's wearing gloves, by the way. It's never, like, just just happening randomly. Always make sure that you can see clearly that she's wearing them. Uh, purple. That is, is the, true. That's weird. Yeah. Well, because there's a theme here. Purple is the color of royalty. While white often represents innocence, softness, and purity. Rose's mother, by contrast, is wearing green in this scene. This is in contrast with to, to Rose, as green can represent money, greed, and jealousy. And that's, again, the wardrobe. The wardrobe stuff's going to be kind of obvious, but when it's about the uh, gender imperatives <clears throat> or the, the woman's journey element, I will say so. So, in the woman's journey metaphor, or allegory, rather, 
Rose begins the journey going along with Cal and her mother's plan, literally, because she is arriving on the boat with them, and the whole reason they're getting on the boat is so they can go to America so she can get married to Cal. She's being pulled, as she is even given a hand out of the carriage. A symbolic pull, but a pull nonetheless. At this point, she is still a a young girl in this because she is completely taken care of. She is not independent in any way, shape, or form. And in fact, because of her lack of experience, she relies on all of the people around her to even just exist. Back to the wardrobe department. When Rose first meets Jack, or I'm sorry, when Jack first sees Rose, she's wearing green with white trimming. Green, in this case, represents youth and experience, but also money. This is a subtle nod to not only to her being young and inexperienced in life, but she is rich. The youth is driven home with the addition of purity and innocence of white because of the white trimming on the green dress. And this is interesting because a lot of Rose's outfits are two colors. And in the context of the scene, if you look up the color meanings, they actually go together in pretty much, no, not even pretty much, every scene she's in. The wardrobe person, if they didn't win an Oscar, they should have. And what's funny is a lot of this is conveyed in the scene, so you probably don't notice the outfits, but I just had this thought of it because I remember she has a very distinct first outfit, and I've always, I just remembered that, and I was like, huh, they go out of their way to show it. They really go out of their way to show it. I wonder if there's something there. Turns out there is. So in the feminine and masculine imperatives department, Rose repeatedly does not submit to Cal's will, particularly when compliance isn't required, meaning she doesn't actually have to. It's worth observing that Rose will fall in line when there is no other course of action available to her, but often as non-compliant as possible. She'll joke, side-eye, fake smile, etc. This is because while Cal has resources, at no point does he display competence in any way, shape, or form. No, not not whatsoever. Yeah. Cal's money is inherited, not earned. So even his money comes from or doesn't come from competence. So there's not even an implied competence. This is also illustrated later. I didn't write this down. This is also illustrated later in the movie with a subtle jab at him when he says that the artist Picasso won't amount to anything. Which, it's worth noting that by this time, Picasso was already famous. That's something the movie gets wrong because they imply that the paintings were cheap. Picasso and Monet were already famous at this point. Maybe they were cheap in the context of Cal's money, but... He had five hundred dollars. <laughs> Back then, that was a lot. What's that scene in A Million Ways to Die from the West when they bet a dollar? He's like, "That's a dollar, boy. Show some respect." <laughs> um, <clears throat> I saw that once. That was a good movie. It's so funny. Like it, it is what it is. Everybody, I love. Everybody's like, "It's so stupid." I'm like, "Yeah." That's um, why I like it. I just said, never in this movie is Cal competent in any manner other than talking, basically. He spends the entire movie talking the talk and never walking the walk. Rose. (laughs) Oh, God, I actually said he talks the talk but never walks the walk. His lackey does everything for him. He doesn't even go to look for Rose on his own. This is the complete opposite of Jack, who, while poor, demonstrates time and again resourcefulness, competence, and the ability to get things done. In addition to his artistic ability, Jack is also personable and gets along well with others. 
He forms reciprocal friendships with almost everyone he meets. Jordan Peterson talks about this at great length, actually, whenever he's talking about dominance hierarchies. Uh, insofar as the most successful leaders aren't usually the strongest physically. Tyrannical people often alienate others and are eventually taken out in a moment of weakness. Whereas good leaders have reciprocal friendships that they foster and maintain and continually demonstrate non-tyrannical authority, meaning people willingly follow them. Not, It's not a, you do what I say or else. It's like, hey guys, this is what I think we should do. And everybody goes, yeah, that jives. That makes sense. Because this person has demonstrated that usually... They know what they're doing and know what they're talking about. So it's not submission. It's not submission so much as it is collaboration. But when you demonstrate that you're competent, people, I don't mean fall in line in a negative way. They're just like, okay, yeah, good plan, boss. Let's do it. Pretty this much. happens later in the film many times. Back to the wardrobe, where this where the movie starts to get really interesting. Rose is wearing a red dress that's covered in black. I don't know what the actual fabric term is, but it's basically like, it's not <clears throat> lace, but like the fabric underneath is red and then it's got black on top of it. But you can see the red through it kind of. Is that the dancing scene? No, that's later. Was it, was it the dinner with the red and black dress? No, no, that's pink and black, but we get into that. Okay. This is when she's hanging off the back and she first, and Jack rescues her. Uh, when she first meets Jack, starts coming. Red represents love and passion, but it's covered by black, which represents grief. This is a subtle nod that Rose's passion for life and her lack of love, because she does not love Cal in any way, shape, or form, is covered. And notice you only see enough red to know that there's red underneath. Because it's a nighttime scene, it's kind of hard to see. Red means available. <laughs> oh, uh, black... <clears throat> Represents grief, depression, and mourning, as if her passion is being snuffed out by grief and depression. There's some red showing still, which can represent danger or imminent catastrophe. Red is often used in films to show something dangerous or that death is coming. Especially in horror movies, if you pay attention to this, it's almost all the time. He's coming to get me! <laughs> There's a lot of... you. Next time you watch a good horror movie, because the shitty ones probably don't take into account. Yeah, kind of like Smile. Actually, Smile does use red a lot. <laughs> that was a terrible, terrible movie. It wasn't. <laughs> it was, it was terrible. It was very good. The ending was so dumb. Why? Okay, I, I wanted to pick your brain on that, not to get off topic, but why was the ending to Smile dumb? Because I, I think the ending was one of the best parts. Okay, she didn't get rid of it. Right. It killed her. Right. But, I don't know. I, the ending was just... That's why I liked it, because when, when they figured out a way to kill it, I was like, oh, okay, so they're going to kill it. Kind of like, did you ever watch the movie It Follows? No. It's very similar, less, a lot less scary. They end up killing the monster in the end, and I'm like, <clears throat> that cheapened the whole thing. Because if you can kill it, if three teenagers can figure out how to kill it, how why hasn't anybody else yeah. killed it? That's why Smile's so good, because they didn't kill it in the end, because it outsmarted them. And it's it's such a different horror movie ending, because that's what I loved about it. Okay, happy endings don't always have to happen, and that, no. that's what's good about it. But Vivarium, or Vivarium or whatever, uh, with Jesse Eisenberg, came out in like 2019, and apparently no one saw it. Not to get off topic. I was going to say, I haven't yeah. seen it. But, um... They 
him and his girlfriend go to a realtor's office and they're just talking to him and he's really weird and he basically forces them into going and seeing a house. They okay. go to see the house and every single house is the exact same. It's just like a big suburb, suburbia and every house is the same. Well, anyway, the freaking realtor guy disappears and they try to go get in their car and drive away and they keep going around the same block over and over again. And then a baby shows up in a box and then it says, raise the baby and you can leave. <laughs> and they literally raise this baby and this bitch becomes a full grown adult in like a couple months. And they still gotta like feed him every day, and he's basically a robot. But that sounds awful. No, dude, it's so bad, but it's so good. Like Smile. I thought Smile was great, but <laughs> no. anyway, hey, back to the Titanic. Viewer that's with us now, thank you. I hope you enjoy this. Absolutely. And I okay. So I would also, before I get back into this, I would like to state just for the record that again chimpanzee in a suit these are only theories that i've noticed i might be reading way too much into it but i just thought i'd put it out there because to me there's a big pattern here so in one of the more fascinating like this is where i thought i figured out i was really onto something so in that same scene where rose is about to jump off the balcony and jack comes over to her Jack in this scene showcases a fascinating and extremely subtle use of wardrobe and color in this movie. When Jack first comes over, he's wearing a flannel coat. Now, flannel, until about the 90s, the 1990s, was pretty much only worn by the working class because it's made of wool, it's warm, it's pretty tough and relatively cheap. In fact, flannel was... I did research on this. Um, let's see. Did you make... Flannel was originally made from using scrap wool pieces of fabric, and it became a fabric of choice through the Industrial Revolution. This instantly and subtly marks Jack as a member of the lower working class. As he prepares to jump into the water after Rose, though, Jack take takes off his flannel jacket, revealing a purple shirt. Remember what purple represents? Royalty. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> oh, remember purple is the color of royalty. This subtly tells the audience that while Cal is a pretender prince insofar as he dresses like one but does not act like one, Jack stands in contrast <laughs> as a prince in disguise. A metaphorical prince, but a prince in disguise. He takes that jacket off and instantly I'm like, that's a purple shirt. The fuck? And that shirt makes a couple more appearances in the movie. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> So back to the uh, gender roles here. You don't think about these things as a child. I'm telling you, but I'm this is the purple shirt really solidified it for me because anytime Jack is wearing this shirt, uh, you, you'll see. Just stick with it. Was it in the blue box that had the nudity and the uh, the gold box had the no nudity? I didn't know they released a version with no nudity. Yeah, they have different color boxes, and one has the scene, one ha doesn't have it. It's literally that different. The movie can't exist without that scene. It's a pivotal scene. Stop censoring art. I want you to look at my boobies, Jack. Hey, the red box has Arnold Schwarzenegger's face on Rose. <laughs> I'm going to jump. <laughs> ah. <laughs> anyway. Jack, my nipples are erect. <laughs> um, now, still on the scene where Rose is hanging off the, the railing. In this situation, in the same situation, Cal would order Rose to get down from the rail, but in all likelihood wouldn't 
even try to talk her down the way Jack does, and he certainly wouldn't jump in after her. He'd probably just order someone to do so if he did so at all. Jack, again by contrast, is perfectly willing, albeit begrudgingly, because no one in their right mind wants to jump into the North Atlantic. No, it's awfully cold. Yeah, it's extremely cold. As Jack It's a very her, cold. It's a very cold. <laughs> He's like, it'll make your nipples erect, Rose. Jack. <laughs> my boobies, Jack. Every, every time I hear that, I just, I just <laughs> Look at my boobies, Jack. Um, I'll be begrudgingly to jump into the water and save her. He's not looking forward to it, but he will because it's in his masculine imperative to protect. Yes. This is the first time Rose goes against her feminine imperative for preservation, and she almost falls into the ocean as a result, after she changes her mind. Even after this, Jack continues to protect her honor by not telling everyone what really happened, even though he's going to be arrested for assault. Thankfully, Rose lies and sacrifices some of her dignity to get him out of trouble. Because she says, oh, I was just looking over to look at the propellers. And he's like, oh, she was going to look at the propellers. <laughs> With her face. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, your eye holes are in your face. Well, that's... I'm gonna get off. Use your eye holes to look at my boobies, little, Jack. We <laughs> off topic. Uh, did you hear about the uh, woman who was sucked into the jet m motor? No. Just recently? No. Dude, just obliterated. I, well, yeah. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that sound was accurate. Yeah, probably. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> but, yeah. But you said it uh, reminded me of that. Now, after Jack saves Rose, Cal tries to buy Rose's affection back. Which, in his mind, buy it back because he never actually had it. But in his warped, twisted mind, he had it all along. He never had it to begin with. By give, this is when he gives her the heart of the ocean in an attempt to buy her heart back. The necklace becomes a metaphor for love in this movie. The necklace represents Cal's love, in quotes, because the necklace is a fake heart. It's a real diamond, but it's not a real heart. It's beautiful and expensive, but ultimately false and predicated on its tangible value. Because if the diamond wasn't worth money, the necklace would ultimately be worthless coming from Cal. Conversely, the love Jack and Rose actually share is based on something real and ironically intangible. This metaphor will come into play later. Back to the wardrobe. The next day, when Jack and Rose are talking on deck, Jack is wearing the same purple shirt, this time out in the open, not behind a jacket. And Rose is wearing yellow, a yellow and white dress. Now, this yellow has a little bit of a gold tint to it, so that might be I'm rich or... It might be. Yellow often represents sunshine and joy. It's worth noting that the next day is a very bright and sunny. Oh, sorry. The next scene is a very bright and sunny day, which fully contrasts the night before. Rose's outlook and mood <clears throat> changes after meeting Jack, almost a naive hope. Because let's remember, this movie is a tragedy. <clears throat> it, it's wild how the uh, colors of everything, like just thinking of other shows and movies, uh, like noticing different colors color psychology people. is a real thing and in fact they they do this a lot in movies and tv where they'll have the person you're supposed to like wear colors like blue and uh breaking bad um oh they hank's wife purple all the time all the time she believes she's royalty well and not only that it gets better than that walt wears green a lot oh and um i'm trying to remember <clears throat> who wears blue all walter the time. jr he wears a lot of different stuff. Is it Skyler that's blue, or is it Hank that wears blue a lot? I can't remember now. He was red, actually. 
That's right, yeah. But you're right about Marie. Marie probably has the most prominent, other than Walt, because Walt wears a lot of green. I think I think maybe he was the blue. Maybe he was the blue. I can't remember. No, uh, Gus. Oh, I can't remember. I need to watch it, because we, we could talk about color. Well, there's even colors in people's names in Breaking Bad. Walter White, Jesse Pinkman. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Schwartzes, because Schwartz is German for black. <laughs> Skyler, Sky... Blue, sky blue. There's, there's, there's a lot of color in, um, in Breaking Bad. Yeah, like, just the symbolic. The fact that the the meth is blue is also interesting because blue is typically a calming color. So maybe they do that to kind of soften because meth's a meth's a bad drug. Like <laughs> nobody looks like you can think. You can, look at, you can look at cocaine and be like, well, I mean, I used to party a lot, or and like, and weed's fairly benign, you know? But, like, I, I don't think anybody looks back on their meth days and goes like, God, I wish I could go back to that, you know, once they quit. Dude. But by making it blue, A, it probably shows up on camera better, but it also might be less of, like, because you don't want to start out, they didn't, Vince Gilligan didn't want you to start out hating Walter. He want, They wanted you to sympathize with him, but... Anyway. I still did. He just acted like a jackass. He got hubris. 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 <clears throat> Back to the uh, metaphor of this being a woman's journey. Yes. Rose looks through Jack's drawings in the same scene. It's a metaphorical sexual awakening. The drawings are an intimate part of who Jack is. Oh, I thought you were laughing. I'm like, there's a point here. No. There is a point here. Uh the drawings are an intimate part of who Jack is because, again, he carries them in a book that's bound. You can't see them unless he opens it for you. And they get progressively more explicit because they start out tame. They just start out like there's one where father's holding his daughter and then there's the one of the woman wearing the jewels at the bar. But then they get more explicit. At the same time, Rose begins to see the nudity in the drawings may not be completely sexual in nature. And this is shown when she sees one of them. There's also like a hand study drawing next to the naked portrait. So it illustrates that Jack is also trying to draw hands. And then later he says she had beautiful hands because it's shown every one of Jack's drawings, I believe everyone shows hands and they're very detailed. Yeah. The two Italian girls. <laughs> uh, this, I believe, is showing Jack, who is a stand-in for men in this movie, just like Rose is a stand-in for women, is not always what he seems. Not all men are the same. This somewhat parallels meeting her first man when she's used to dealing with boys, when you contrast Jack with Cal, which is ironic because I, it's pretty well implied that Jack is younger than Cal. Oh, yeah. But thus showing <clears throat> that it's not so much how old a person is, although age does play a role in, you know. That year, <laughs> that, Yeah. But it just showed, this is this is where Rose realizes you died from dysentery. <laughs> but this is just showing Rose that not all men are in fact the same. There are some that are men. What, what did they call dysentery on uh, Million Ways to Die in the West? I can't remember. What did they call? It? I can't remember <laughs> now. Hot farts or something. Hot farts. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. I don't know. That was that was a uh, very funny. What does he say? He's like. The hot shits or something. I'm terrible at raising sheep. I once lost a sheep. Once I found her in the whorehouse, she'd made $20. <laughs> um, back to the wardrobe. When Jack joins Rose's family for dinner, she's wearing pink shrouded in black. 
In this case, pink represents her love for Jack, and it's pretty obvious because every time she looks at him, she's smiling obnoxiously, and I don't mean that in a bad way, so she can't even hide it. But the black is covering it up. She can't show it in the open. There are subtle nods because you can see some pink through, but not a lot. That's important. Remember, there's only a little bit of pink coming through. She's so fine. <laughs> Especially in that movie. And she's still oh, she's Kate Winslet is fucking beautiful. She still is. Um, you can see the pink through the black if you're observant and looking for it. Rose has to hide it in front of her family. <clears throat> now back to the whole gender roles thing. When Jack and Rose begin to dance in, their, in the third class party when they go below deck, mm -hmm. it's a metaphor for Rose willingly submitting to Jack's lead. Typically in dancing, the male or dominant partner leads and the female or submissive <clears throat> follows. If they both try to lead, the dance doesn't work, and if they both try to follow, they won't go anywhere. Which is why women love to dance. It's a perfect metaphor for sex. But it's safe and clothed. And not too intimate, but I mean, it does require at least a degree of intimacy, at least in the form of like being comfortable around someone to dance with someone. Grindage. <laughs> I'm not even talking about grinding, but <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. That was always the best part about dances. You can't do that now. Oh, no. oh yeah, they won't let you. Well, but yet, but yet technically, technically they wouldn't let us, but it happened. But yet, yeah. <laughs> It's like, hold on, stay right there. Don't move. <laughs> it won't go down. It's like, it's like the scene in Don John where she convinces John to go to college. If you've Dude, seen the movie, you I know what I'm talking about. I can't believe I watched that movie. That was, movie's so good. It was terrible. No, it's not. Oh, man. He, he ends up with the freaking old lady. Okay, that part. I, that made no sense. I, I was like, uh, Joe Hansen or the old lady? But in that movie, Joe Hansen was kind of a bitch. It's okay. Not even kind of. She was a total bitch. He said, were you watching porn? They gave her that obnoxious accent, and it really helped to make her unlikable. Fuck you, Jordy. <laughs> I like her accent the best. <laughs> and Brie Larson's in that movie, and she only has, like, <clears throat> three lines, and I still hate she her. She is in that movie? Yeah, he, she plays his younger sister. In what movie? Don John. Don John. I guess I didn't know. Um, back to the wardrobe. While Rose and Jack are in third, remember how the pink was subtly showing? While Rose and Jack are in third class, her outfit is the same, but more pink starts to show. This shows both that her love for Jack is growing, as demonstrated even as he is demonstrated even more competent, competence by successfully blending into third class while being himself and not putting on a facade, and even throwing in some subtle jokes at the rich people's expense, who are completely ignorant to the fact that he's poking fun at them. But also, that she could be herself in this environment. It's also worth noting that at some point she had like this scarf thing or shawl that was pink, but you didn't see it in dinner. And she's got it on her arm and she's waving it like almost a literal flag. Watch the movie. Um, back to the woman's journey. When Rose does the ballet move after seeing the men arm wrestle, this is an awesome metaphor for the difference between male and female strength. Rose's move requires a great deal of strength, toughness, and training, but it's from ballet, which is traditionally viewed as feminine, as are most forms of dance, except for the haka, which females can do, but it is a war dance. It's still strength, it's just a different kind of strength. So that's for you, feminists. Wardrobe. 
extra strength. <laughs> hey, I'm sorry. If you can get up on your very tiptoe like that, you're strong. Sorry, sorry, not sorry. I can't do that. I can, but my feet might break. <laughs> no, no, she gets on the tip. Oh, of her... I saw. You cannot do that. I, no, if I, you can I, do I, that, I said I could, but my feet might break. I was gonna say if you can do that, we'll get that on film. I used to do video. toe taps. Are they called toe taps? I don't know. <laughs> it sounded good. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, sorry. I huh? Gay. <laughs> Gay. No, I've never done. That. Okay, wardrobe. The next morning, the scene where Cal. <laughs> the ne- the scene where Cal flips the table. Uh, Rose is wearing white with a green and yellow trimming on it. She's scolded. <laughs> She's scolded by Cal like a child, not a wife. She's commanded to behave by a man she has never. Th- th- sorry, sorry. She's commanded to behave by a man she neither loves nor respects. The color combinations <laughs> illustrate her innocence and youth and inexperience. And again, it's worth noting that the color yellow is often used to be a direct representation of children because. For some reason, apparently, kids are usually drawn to the color yellow that's used in toy marketing all the time, and it's part of the reason why McDonald's has... Spongebob. Oh. The, the Simpsons. Hey, Arnold. Oh. Toys R Us. Oh, my gosh. Why? I bet if you Dude, think about our it... Our childhood was so much better because of, because of the color yellow. School buses. They're not even yellow anymore. They usually are. Sometimes they're not, but... I'm just kidding. They're still yellow. <laughs> I mean, not every single one, but they're usually Can yellow. Can you imagine seeing a red school bus? It's like, they going to prison? That's interesting, though. There's a reason why school buses are usually painted yellow. It's because it's a color that children <clears throat> normally are drawn to. And if that thing were painted red, you might have a lot more nervous kids. In fact, I bet, I almost guarantee you, that if you were to take a group of kids, like age three to five, and you had different color buses pull up, I bet you most of them would be more relaxed with the yellow one than any other color. Oh, yeah. I bet you. I'd bet money on that. Jumbo van rolls up. (laughs) (laughs) Dark gray. Kids are like, no. No. I don't want the candy, sir. (laughs) Anyway, Um, back to the movie. The The vagina. (laughs) said gender rolls. Don't look in my vagina, Jack. Look (laughs) in my boobies. Touch me. And, <laughs> oh my gosh, dude, I swallowed. That. Oh my gosh. <laughs> You're lapsing into Don John. Oh my gosh, what are you doing oh. looking at porn? The fuck are you doing, Jordy? I want you to look at my boobies. <laughs> and... He's like, no, nah, baby, I was just watching Titanic. It's the scene. It's the scene. <laughs> uh, back, back to the gender imperatives. In that same scene where Cal flips the table. We see another example of Cal ordering Rose to respect and honor him. Rose desires to respect and honor Jack. The other big theme here is that Cal gets angry when Rose distances herself from him, whereas Jack wouldn't chase like that. He does pursue her, but if she ever resisted him or said that, like, nah, I'm not interested, he'd just have walked away. As he does in a later scene where he says, listen, here's what I want, and this, I'm telling you, like, women in the audience, if There are women in our audience, which YouTube Analytics says there are, but you are in the minority. So I just, I have a hunch that if a guy, generally speaking, if a guy, if you're into guys, if a guy comes up to you and you're attracted to him, obviously, and he just says, look, 
I think you're beautiful. I think you're awesome. Here's what I'm looking for. If you're into that, great. Let's do this. If not, it's awesome to meet you. Have a great day. I bet you they'd be like, look at my boobies. <laughs> that would um, never get old. <laughs> no, we keep bringing it back. Um, back to the, the, the allegory of a woman's maturity. That's what everybody did with the 90s. It's back. <laughs> the pants are back. On <laughs> uh, the corset scene, the corset scene is literally and metaphorically reminding Rose and the audience that she is being bound. She doesn't yet understand that the corset is optional with pros and cons. She's beginning to realize this, though, because now, she, after meeting Jack, she really doesn't want this life now. She just thinks there's no way out. The corset comes with security, but there's misery involved, standards to uphold. Without it, she can be free, but she will probably face judgment from some people. The corset's a metaphor, people. I'm not saying women have to wear corsets. I'm saying it's a metaphor. But it's also worth noting that one of the number one pieces of lingerie bought are corsets. So, man, do what you will with that information. That just seems painful. Well, not okay anymore. They're not liter- They're not like yeah, the. They're not like they were. Well, I don't know. Waist trainers became a fad. Spandex, man. Yeah, I think you mean Spanx. What? 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 Okay. Yeah. I guess Spanx. Well, no, no. Li- remember the waist trainer fen- fat phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Women were willingly buying these things oh, yeah. to make themselves appear thinner. And you remember when they came out with those for dudes? <laughs> it was like a shirt. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just put it over and it straightened out I just, their I just, bellies. And I I just like, rem- they're like, the, the shirts don't hang out. I just remember the joke they did on Third Rock from the Sun where Dick buys one. And it's like, it's called the Shatner. Um, I think a Shatner. Uh, <laughs> Ew. Ew. <laughs> oh, I, I got it. <laughs> what did William Shatner say to his mother as he was being birthed? <laughs> I think a Shatner. Thank <laughs> God. Ah! Uh, another wardrobe observation. When Jack and Rose talk and Jack tells her how he feels, Rose is... Oh, I, I, met, I forgot to type the word blue, but she's wearing blue. She's wearing white and blue. She's wearing, like, this white thing with a blue jacket over it. Look at my boobies. Yeah. Uh, Rose had just come from church, and blue is often associated with the Virgin Mary, particularly when there's white underneath. Hmm. But also of inspiration, which is a seed Jack plants in this very scene, a seed of inspiration. Jack is in disguise, though. He's different in this scene. Now, this is where I I noticed this, but I couldn't really put my finger on it. So any observant audience members, help me figure this out. So this is where Jack steals the coat and hat so that he can sneak into first class to talk to Rose. Now, he's acting very different in this scene, almost like he's not as sure of himself as he normally is. And I think it has, I, I think they're trying to tell us there's something about him being in a literal disguise about that like he's not being himself but i don't see where the payoff is yet who jack yeah jack well he's a time traveler there is that theory but the whole theme of the movie is that jack is himself except in this scene 
He's not lying per, he's not lying to Rose, but I don't know. I can't figure that one out. I just noticed it, so I wrote it down, but I have not come up with, I haven't figured out where that leads yet, other than the fact that he gets busted for stealing <laughs> the jacket later in the movie, but. Oh, yeah. That was a fun, fun part. Yeah. That was a chase scene, wasn't it? Yeah, later in the movie. Yeah. Uh, so the next scene, Rose is with her mother and the Countess, whoever, at dinner. And I touched on this in the previous video. This is the scene, again, Rose is wearing gloves. And this is when Rose is just stewing on what Jack has told her. And then she looks over and she sees an, a, a real little girl, like a, an actually young girl, with her mother at dinner. And the little girl is wearing these lace gloves and then she very neatly makes sure they're okay and then puts the napkin down. And then Kate Winslet does a great job here. She looks at this and you get this look, look on her face where she's like, yeah, fuck that. Because she realizes. She realizes she realizes so many things in that scene. She realizes, but essentially that's like, nah, this isn't for me. And that's the first step in her maturity is that realization that, nah, I'm not a little girl anymore. I don't have to do what these people tell me. You know, and this is also her first, well, not her first act of rebellion, but it's her first major stepping away from her family because now she is going to openly expose this part of herself. Uh, and incidentally, that scene is where this all started because I noticed that I was like, oh, the gloves, the little girl's wearing the same Uh, wardrobe in the now infamous I'm flying Jack scene Rose is wearing that same blue outfit that she wore at church um, in this case I believe blue is the color of the ocean well blue is the color of the ocean and sky and where are they at the bow of the ship looking at the ocean and sky but also freedom stability and inspiration but she adds a green shawl again noting her youth and inexperience but it's okay because Jack is literally behind her, both literally and metaphorically, supporting her. She's on a path she's chosen, but she's not doing it alone. So she is safe to branch out because she knows that Jack has her back. Literally. It's also worth noting that they first met when she was hanging off of a rail. Dude, like, just thinking of that's scary. Oh, fuck Slipping that. Down. Fuck no that. way. One one strong gust of wind. It doesn't matter. That fall's going to kill you. No, probably not, but uh, you fall hurt. just right. Oh, yeah, if you fall just right. Like, don't belly flop off of a shit. Sometimes, but if, if, sometimes if, if, you can't control that. Well, actually, yeah, you uh, can. Yeah, actually, yeah, you can. <laughs> You'll descent. Uh, let's see. Da, da, da. Also in the road wardrobe, when Rose gets ready to show Jack her boobies, <laughs> when, she, when she gets ready to pose for Jack, she takes out... A, it, and it shows this quite deliberately. She takes out a green hair clip. Yeah. Shedding her inexperience. Her robe that she's wearing is black with some gold <clears throat> trimming, which she takes off. She's metaphorically shedding both her grief and her riches and giving herself over to Jack. Not totally, but you know what I mean. She's stepping away from this and going to that. It's like a gift, Jack. <laughs> it's like a gift. Look at them. Look at the boobies. <laughs> By the way, all of you that are watching, if you want to comment on any of this, feel free. Like I won't it won't hurt my feelings. 
I actually would rather you comment on this because if I'm wrong, I want to know, but I, I think I'm right here. This is another example of the being a, an allegory for a woman's journey. The drawing scene is ex, it's an extremely erotic scene and not in a smutty way. It's a metaphorical giving of her virginity, gazing upon her nakedness, which theoretically Cal has not seen. It's implied that he hasn't. She wants Jack to tell her what to do, but she wants it. She's asking for it, literally and metaphorically. She's requesting it, willingly submitting to the man she loves and respects. Rose is often thought of as an independent feminist icon, but everyone seems to forget this part of the movie. But it's also worth noting that Fifty Shades of Grey became one of the most popular and best-selling books ever at the height of a feminism wave. Weird. See, this is where a lot of the red pill guys, I don't know if they realize they're getting it wrong, but they're like, oh, women should obey and respect men. Not all men. Men that, this is going to sound so bad. <laughs> say, I was going to say men that have earned it, but that implies that I'm not going to say it that way. I was going to say it sounds like you're getting to say you have a dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. But you no, will submit to No, me. no. But ultimately, it is my belief that traditionally speaking, a woman should not fully submit. You know what I mean when I say this. Like, but submit at least to a certain degree to a man that she respects, admires, and loves because he has demonstrated that he is worth following. I think what a lot of the red pill community gets wrong is they're like, no, men should just respect me because I have a penis. It's like, that does not, that's not how it works. And Wang has spoken. <laughs> I completely lost my train of thought there. But this is like, so like, by typical red pill standards, they'd be like, well, why is Rose out there being a hoe and her man is blah, 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 blah. It's because Cal is not acting like a man. No. Cal is acting like a spoiled rich child. Which is what he is. And yeah, well, literally. And Rose does not respect him, nor should she respect him. Oh no, he got away on the boat. Oh, but he dies later. He kills himself. They don't show it, but she That's right. tells it. Um, back to the wardrobe. <clears throat> After Jack is done drawing her boobies, Rose changes into a pastel purple and pink dress after they finish the drawing. It's also worth noting, and I did read that they did this intentionally, this was the first dress where it was actually like her size, Kate Winslet's size, so she's visibly more comfortable in it. And it's a little bit more loose-fitting, so it's more flowy. And they did that very deliberately. Um, pink <clears throat> represents love, pretty obviously. The pastel purple, perhaps, being uplifting. They're light and happy colors. There's nothing sad about this outfit. It also contrasts her red hair quite nice. And redheads have a reputation of being independent, spirited, and loud. And loud. Everyone I've ever met... <clears throat> Listen, we're not we're not prejudiced against gingers, but just go sit at your own table. You can't have my that's, soul. <laughs> that's a South Park joke. <laughs> or not a joke, a reference. <clears throat> and then also, oh, <laughs> this isn't so much wardrobe, but it is color related. <clears throat> Jack and Rose fuck in a car. 
Do you remember what the car's color? What color the car was? Wasn't it like dark green? No, it's red. Was it red? It's a red car. Oh yeah. Cars represent freedom to go. <laughs> cars represent freedom to go where we want, particularly in the United States, which is where they are going. <laughs> oh, Jack. <laughs> And the car is also red, which highlights the obvious passion that's taking place in this scene. It's it's also wet because they're in the ocean where there are lobsters that are also red. Um, okay, back to the masculine and feminine. Still in the car. We're, we're there for a minute. Probably a literal minute. Rose is not nervous here. She is willingly giving herself to Jack. In fact, you could almost point to this where Rose is being somewhat forceful about it. Not that Jack's saying no, but, you know, like, she's initiating every part of it, including the put-your-hands-on-me Jack line. She's throwing it on him. She, yeah, she's slinging it in that car. She says, you taking it. <laughs> <laughs> Take it, bitch! <laughs> Take it, Jack. Take my boobies. Um... Oh, she's willingly giving herself to Jack, both literally and metaphorically. One of the most important things for a man to do is to make a woman feel safe. When this happens, she will open. I don't mean literally, but I mean... It's been known to happen. <clears throat> this is part and parcel any sort of relationship dynamic. Again, protection from the man and preservation from the woman. Now... You may be asking yourself, but she's having sex with him. Well, she has preserved her purity up to this point until a man that she loves, respects, and admires and makes her feel safe, literally, and just safe being who she is as a person, comes along, and then she wants him to, and she's just like, throw that sucker into gear and let's go. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, so the next, uh, I'll, pretty much all I'm talking about for the next page is all the uh, male and female imperative stuff. So, Because nobody changes outfits in the next little while, because this is when the ship starts to sink. When the ship hits the iceberg, Jack protects Rose from the falling ice. The only slip-up Jack makes in the movie is when he steals the jacket. Ultimately, it's of little consequence, but Kate Winslet beautifully portrays that little moment of doubt. Her face conveys doubt and heartbreak all at the same time, but it's very brief because almost instantly um, she's less saying no, he couldn't. Oh, because almost instantly she says he he couldn't have. He was with me the whole time. And she knows there's only one split second where he was alone when she asked him to put the necklace back in the safe, which we see that he does. There's never any doubt that he... And plus they show the guy slipping the necklace into the pocket. We're not meant to doubt Jack here. <clears throat> Uh, she's less saying no he couldn't to the other people and more to herself. I just put beautifully done by Winslet here. Uh, Jack is one of the first people outside of the crew to realize what's going on, again, demonstrating his competence. Uh, after Jack gets arrested, Rose eventually runs away from Cal, spits, in the, spits him in the eye. I don't know if that's how you would say it. She spits him in the eye. Yeah, that's actually a funny scene that you mentioned that. Where he's teaching her how to spit her when she spits him right in the face. Well, when she spits in, spits at Cal. Yeah, but she that's was, she that's was actually only gonna run up and uh, I think slap him, but she 
Oh, yeah. Asked if she could spit, and she spit in his face so many times, he just got desensitized to it. And I was like... Well, not only that, I had read that she they actually had to resort to her to start using lube because she yeah. ran out of spit. Yeah, she, she's all dry mouth. But this is what's known in film and storytelling as a plan to pay off. So the scene that might seem very random, which it's it's done well here when Jack is teaching her how to spit, that's the seed, and then the payoff is when she hawks loogie in Cal's face. Which, once again, where did she learn this skill from? The man that she respects, admires. Oh, yeah. They're on the side of the ship. <laughs> yeah. You got really hawk it back. But Rose goes after Jack. Uh, in this case, she's not she's not really stepping out of her feminine imperative of preservation because you could make the because I make the argument that she steps out of her imperative for preservation by leaving the lifeboat. There's a difference here though because when she does that, she knows where Jack is. Jack has directed her to do so to keep herself safe. Blah blah blah. blah. At this point, she doesn't know where Jack is, and I can see how this would be confusing, but it it makes sense. Uh, Anyway, she's not stepping out of her feminine imperative of preservation, but more so because she's willingly chosen to follow Jack. Now, this doesn't mean she's brainless, but keep in mind, Rose wants to follow Jack's lead. You have to remember that. Both Jack and Rose show competence here, and Rose shows her growth due to Jack's influence, the spitting, the believing that she can handle an axe when I assure you she'd never picked one up before. Her just instinct to kind of figure out where he is. Didn't she close her eyes when she swung? I think so, yeah. Yeah, and he's like, did you close your eyes? <laughs> I think so. I, I swear there's another movie where that happened. Uh, oh, uh, iRobot. Oh, yeah, yeah. When, when she shoots the... Uh, I shit on the red pill some more here. Uh, the common mistake the red pill people <clears throat> tend to make, not all of them, but a lot of red pill people make this. Uh, the way they talk sometimes sounds like women need to be completely weak, useless, and defenseless. That's not true. Uh, as shown in this movie, if Rose had been useless, Jack would have died earlier. Because when I was writing this, I wrote, Jack would have died. And I was like, wait, he does die. <laughs> Actually, if he never met Rose, he might have lived. Well, he, he would have found the door. Oh, t- yeah. Oh, yeah. mind you, Rose killed him. But we'll get to that. Just not here, because this isn't when she steps out of her feminine. And you notice, as soon as Jack's hands are free... He's back to leading. It's kind of like when you, as a couple, you have to drive somewhere. And it's like even when you're taking her car, she hands you the keys. Um, and then and then we go to the scene where uh, the third class people are trapped behind that gate and the guys aren't letting them out. This is when they grab the bench and they break it. But if you mm-hmm. notice... All the guys go to the bench and start tearing it up. But what is Rose doing? Most people miss this. She's telling she was people, helping. She's telling people to get the fuck out of the way. Oh, that's right. She's not helping rip the bench up. She yeah. would have just gotten in the way. And this is why, actually, Andrew Tate made this point. It's like the reason that a lot of these gender roles are so blurred and unobserved now is because we live in a pretty cush society. But the minute things would get hard, he often uses the example of a shipwreck. It's like almost immediately... Gender roles are assumed yeah. when it's when it becomes survival because and in this case it's survival. It just makes sense because it's not about who's doing what. It's about this needs to get done. What's the most expedient, safest, quickest way to do it? Uh, let's see. 
So I just said, Rose helps break the gate down, but does so by assisting and getting people to move. The guys do the heavy lifting. She helps, it's just in a different way. Her help is complementary, not the same. But she's also not in the way, and she's getting people out of the way so that they have room to bash it down. Uh, because Rose jumps out of the lifeboat, this is where people tend to get pissed off when I talk about the movie, because I do say Rose kills Jack, and she does, and it happens right here. Because Rose jumps out of the lifeboat to be with Jack, he almost gets shot, almost drowns, and eventually dies a slow, painful death from hypothermia. Rose, and this is the most important moment, because remember earlier I said Rose stepped out of her feminine and almost died? Rose steps out of her feminine imperative of preservation here. Um, of preservation. She was safe in the lifeboat. By J and that means Jack's mission is accomplished. Now he can move on to a new mission where his life is the only thing that he needs to protect. His chances of survival increase dramatically if this was the case. Because assuming everything happens the exact same way, Joe ends up, uh, Joe, Jack ends up in the ocean and finds what? A floating door. Yeah. It's also worth <clears throat> noting that Jack, in all likelihood, would have, made, would have been able to withstand hypothermia for longer than Rose if he'd been on the door. He has more body fat. He's bigger. More body. It's just... Pause there for a second. Okay. So, uh, Jack Dawson. Jay Dawson was on the was on the ship, but his name was Joseph. Yep. And you just said... Oh, I did say You just Joe. said Joe. I was like, whoa. 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 The Matrix is real. We're in a simulation. <laughs> Free Andrew Tate. <laughs> if he's innocent. But I'm pretty sure they haven't even done any fair legal assessment. That's pretty much the vibe. <clears throat> but um, let's see. Do, do, do. So, yeah. So, yeah, essentially, because Rose steps out of her female imperative of preservation, in this case it's herself, <laughs> Jack ends up dying. There's, there's no way you can convince me this isn't the case because if, again, assuming everything happened, this is assuming Jack doesn't find something earlier that helps him save his life. Just assuming that everything happens as it happened, which probably would have because Jack knows what to do. Because he's telling Rose the whole time, this is what we got to do. We got to get to the other end of the ship. We got to stay on the ship as long as possible. This, that, and the other. You know, he would have gotten to the door. Ah, oh, crap. All good? No. <laughs> I made a mistake at work. Uh-oh. Uh, I'll take care of it in the morning. <clears throat> um, Cal is seen not only boarding a lifeboat, but by lying... Negating the women and children rule by grabbing a random child. Then later, when his boat is about to capsize, he's capsized. Sorry, he's seen pushing a woman away with an oar, saying, "Don't you swamp us?" Oh yeah. In the very next shot, we see Jack putting Rose in front of himself to keep her steady. <clears throat> the whole movie is basically contrasting Jack and Cal. Uh, as the ship finally sinks, Rose looks over at a woman who is by herself, perhaps a subconscious nod from James Cameron, acknowledging that one of these women will die and the other will live. The difference being Rose has Jack as her protector. Jack tells Rose, this is when they're on the door, Jack tells Rose, oh jeez. Uh, okay. 
Uh, Jack tells Rose that she, and this is very important, his wording here, Jack tells Rose that she will have a future. He knows full well he's going to die. But up until the very end, he's making sure that she's awake and safe. That's why he keeps talking to her. Jack keeps his masculine imperative through the entire story, up until his literal death. After Jack's death, Rose, albeit too late for Jack, steps heavily into her feminine imperative of preservation, namely preserving herself and her life to honor Jack's sacrifice. She has children and grandchildren, lives to be over 100, and by the end of the movie returns her heart to the Titanic where she left the man who saved her life in every possible way. Those are her words. She even takes the last name, she even takes his last name once she gets to America. It's also inferred that she kept Dawson as part of her name after she got married, giving him that honor uh, even after his death. Because they make they say her whole name, and Dawson is in there, I believe. I could be wrong on that, Internet. If I am wrong, don't attack me. Or, or do. do. I don't care. And, and tell him what it is. Um, Rose <clears throat> and the necklace are both stolen hearts. Rose is an alpha widow and a literal widow. <laughs> so for those who don't know what an alpha widow is, that's essentially when a woman has met a man and through whatever the circumstances may be, they don't end up together. And then she ends up comparing every man that she's ever met after that, she ever meets after that and then being disappointed because nobody lives up to that former partner that she had. That's what my exes say. <laughs> Now, fun fact, this is very subtle. At the end of the movie, when the camera pans across Rose's photos, we see a picture of Rose riding a horse on the beach with a roller coaster in the background. That's one of the plans that Jack and Rose make when they're together. Yep. He says, we'll go to the Santa Monica Pier, we'll, we'll ride, ride horses on the beach, and we'll ride the roller coaster until we puke. It's, that's exactly what she did. <clears throat> We're almost done. And she puked. I mean, but it's funny because at first, you, oh, she's on a horse. And then you see the roller coaster in the background, and you're like, son of a bitch. And they make sure you can see that it's a beach in that photo. Wardrobe. At the end of the film, when Rose is reunited with Jack, he's wearing that purple shirt again. Rose is wearing white. This gives credence to the theory that Rose dies at the end of the film and ascends to heaven. The white implies this. Her heaven, sorry. Jack is not only wearing purple but the same shirt he was wearing when he saved her and they first met one another. Oh. Now, one more fun observation that I made when I was watching it again. Um, the love triangle participants in the movie each represent one of the three types of character narrative character arcs. First, we have Rose with the most common. She has the positive character arc. A positive character arc is when a character changes for the better over the course of the story. They might start out as being selfish, and by the end, they've learned to care for others. Or, they could be scared and lacking confidence at the beginning, but by the end, they are brave and have overcome their fears. In the beginning, they believe a lie. In Rose's case, the lie is that she is bound by her class and is helpless to escape her fate. Jack shows her the opposite is the truth. The lie is false, and by the end of the movie, the lie is replaced with the truth. Then we have Jack, which is the rarest form, and it's also the least well done. Jack is a flat character arc. It's just like it sounds. A flat character arc doesn't involve any real change at all. 
The character remains mostly static throughout the story, but effects and changes but effects change in the characters around them. Flat character arcs are more for characters that represent an ideal. They know the truth from the beginning and through the truth that they know and live by change other people around them. Goku is actually a phenomenal example of a flat character arc because Goku doesn't really change over the course of the entire story, but he makes friends with everybody. Even Frieza. Kind of. Yeah. Now, Cal is the negative character arc. Negative arcs are just the opposite of the positive arc. These characters become worse over time. They could start out as being kind and good or static, but eventually turn into villains or monsters. So basically, their starting point and they get worse from there because they can already be bad because Frieza is a negative character arc. He starts out bad and just gets worse. Um, he believes the lie that class is more important and that his money makes him above other people. He never drops that lie and so becomes a worse person as the film progresses. Rose says that he ultimately kills himself because of this, because in the Depression, he loses his money. And when he doesn't have his money, what's the lie that he believes? That that's what sets him apart. That's what makes him him. He was a tool. And that is my obnoxious, probably reading too much into it, but still think there's something there. That was, like, way detailed. Like, I did not think you were going to be that detailed. I was... About halfway through the movie, and I'm like, okay, I'm overtaking notes, but I didn't stop because I care about you. The viewers. All four of you. And now I'd like to open up the floor to questions <laughs> and answers. Uh, did we, oh, just want to give a shout out to our sponsor today, Chief Baker from the Titanic. I love his slogan. You bring the flour, we've got the water. No, it's really funny because, like, when Titanic came out, it's so funny because you probably remember this. When Titanic came out, everybody was bitching and moaning. He was like, mm. oh, but it's the love story, man. We want to know about the boat. The boat doesn't matter, folks. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your boat is. Those are Those are good muffins. Muffin button? Muffin man? So, actually, there is one interesting fact about the, the real Titanic that I learned at the Titanic Museum. So, they always get grief about having not having enough lifeboats, but actually ships at the time, none of the ships technically had enough lifeboats to carry all their passengers because they weren't designed for, they weren't designed to be used that way. What the lifeboats were actually designed for and why they had the first, women and children first and then... Yeah. They are designed to ferry passengers over to another ship. The problem with the Titanic is it was a comedy of errors. It was a giant clusterfuck. First of all, Titanic steamed way past where they were supposed to be in relation to their other ships. There should have been two or three ships in the near vicinity within an hour, I think I would read, an hour or two. Um, so the lifeboats aren't designed for prolonged use. They're designed for ferrying. Mm -hmm. So... Now, it is true that Titanic had fewer lifeboats than it should have because of the preservation of deck space, but if there had been a ship closer, even the people that had ended up in the water would probably have been fished out in a fairly timely manner. Yeah. Like, not saying people wouldn't have died, but it wouldn't have been as bad. It was just a comedy. And then there was actually a ship closer than the Carpathia, but their um, telegram operator went to bed early. So... It's not all the lifeboat's fault. 
God. It's also worth noting that it's he got fired. Ah, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. And it's also worth noting too that it was ultimately the experts believe this it was ultimately the turn that caused Titanic to sink the way it did because had they hit the iceberg head on, they actually wouldn't have sunk. Hang on tight. We taking rights. <laughs> they were trying to miss it completely, obviously, but <laughs> no. I mean, how do you not see a big white thing in the ocean? Nah, be, dude, it, that, because, at, at night on the ocean, have you ever been on the ocean at night? Yes. Very, it is so pitch black. And they say this in the movie, it was really, the water was really calm that night. Normally how you see icebergs at night is you see the, the waves breaking against mm -hmm. the ice, but the water was so calm, they just didn't see it until it was too late. Smack. Ironically, though, had they not seen it, like, again, it, they, they would have been delayed, but ultimately they're pretty sure that it wouldn't have sunk. Like, they would have been able to make it, essentially. Make it naked. It's also worth noting that <laughs> Titanic's sister ship was the Olympia, which... If you're familiar with Greek mythology, you know about the Olymp the gods on Mount Olympus and their nemesis, the Titans. And the Titans are ultimately doomed. They are trapped. I believe that, I believe in the Greek pantheon, the Titans are the second generation of gods and the Olympians are the third. And the Titans are ultimately imprisoned in Tartarus, I think? Tartar sauce? Tartarus. I think... Let, correct me in the comments, because I'm probably wrong. I don't have my book in front of me. So. I don't have any book in front of me either. Any, uh, anybody got any questions about theories on the Titanic, or are we just going to wrap it up? Uh, did you, did you know that Neil deGrasse Tyson is a, is a major douche? Not really. Yeah, he Although he did have a role in the re-release of Titanic. Yeah. Because the sky. The star was... pattern doesn't match up. It's like, dude, it's a movie. I think it's his movie, big. Bro. Well, I think his biggest issue was the fact that they used a mirrored image in the same. Oh, it's a shitty start. I mean, I didn't notice it as a kid. And that's but... in the original version. If you've seen any of the newer versions after the first re-release, they fixed it. Now it's the right sky. They still have VHS tapes. Maybe in the near 40, few, 40 years into the future when we're not around or if we are around, people will be like, what's a VHS? What's a VHS tape? Actually, I, I'm pretty sure people are saying that nowadays anyway. Yeah, probably. Although, do you remember it was one of the few times that they had to put it on two tapes because the movie was so long? Yeah. Double tape set. <sighs> but no, no double DVDs. No, they were pretty good. I mean, Kate, Kate Winslet was not small, shall we say. Pretty perfect, actually. Oh, she ain't big at Winslet. all. She's like 5'5". Like five, five. That's not what I was talking about, but... Oh. It's like a handful. Oh. <laughs> oh. Look that's at my boobies, Jack. That's sexist. That's okay. I'm sorry. Women have boobs. So do men. It's called gynomastica. Ironically, usually from steroid use. Not always. It, Not always. It, it has to do with guys being fat and low testosterone. In the in the bodybuilding community, they call them bitch tits. <laughs> they do. No, that's that's real. We, that, we called it that in high school. <laughs> I never heard that. Not that I can recall. Bitch tits. 
That's what they call. That's what they call them, the bodybuilding community. <laughs> Dude, this just reminds me of a video I watched. Uh, this uh, girl was walking by these three guys, and one cat called her. But the guy who cat called her was not the one she took her shit out on. He's like, ooh, let me see them boobies, baby. And she turns around, and she grabs this big fat dude's boobies. She's like, like that. He's like, I didn't even say it. I want to say I've seen that one. It's funny. It's amazing. Or at least I've seen the girl that does those kinds of videos. But uh, I think we're done. I'm rambling, so we're done. Uh, we actually are going to uh, film okay. something for uh, it's a, it's a, secret. a secret project. So we may put something on here, but if not, check out our rumble as well. Yes. Can I say that? Yes, you can. All right. Yeah, thank you for joining us for this episode of the Average Intelligence Podcast. I've actually been wanting to do it for a while, so I was glad I was able to. Hopefully, you're a little bit less average and a little more intelligent. As always, be sure to like, share, and subscribe. And thank you once again to our new subscribers, 400, baby. Unless... We bored somebody and they unsubscribed, but then, you know what, it just wasn't going to work out. It is what it is, and it's okay. Like I said, be sure to like, share, and subscribe if you have not already, and hit that notification bell so you get notified of all of our videos. And if you would prefer to just listen to the podcast as opposed to watching it, you can check out the audio streaming platforms on Amazon, Apple, Anchor FM, Audible, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Pocket Cast, Podbean, they added one, Podcast Addict, Rumble Now, Radio Public, Spotify, and as always, right here on YouTube. Also, buy candles. StevieWicks.com. And, and, and if, uh, if you have any CBD needs, uh, um, OMG CBD. <laughs> where you can also pick up Stevie Wicks candles. Yep. Links in the description. Alrighty, everyone. Have a good night. Thanks now, for hanging I, out. I know we said never let go, but not let, let go. Never let go, Jack.